you read Chris's story and it's not just, oh, this is a guy who did something interesting. You're like, whoa, it really touches you. Like, should I make some changes in my life? Am I doing things right? Am I really doing what makes me happy? How many times do we really spin around the sun? Is, you know, we have one shot at this. You're listening to the Dude Nature Podcast. interviewing Michael Finkel, who wrote The Stranger in the Woods, Extraordinary Story of the Last True Affirmant. Let me just say this book, it, this book fucking rocks. Okay, this book rocks. It will shake you. It'll do you good to read it. You'll love it. It's really fucking cool. Just to give you some background on it, the book is about Christopher Knight, who chose to go live in isolation in the woods of Maine for 27 years. Maine, if you didn't know, it gets fucking cold in the winter. Okay, there's a lot of bugs. Living out there alone for 27 years is brutal. Um, and when I mean alone, Chris spoke one word, one single word in 27 years. He literally spoke to no one for 27 years and just lived in the woods. It's quite possible, as Mike puts it in the book, that Chris was actually the most isolated hermit ever across known history. To survive, Chris committed thousands of petty theft to steal food and supplies from the surrounding unoccupied cabins. He never stole what he didn't need. He never stole a lot. He would steal like, let's say that you had a loaf of bread in your unoccupied cabin or some dusty romance novels that you like. He would steal those. After he stole, he always made sure everything was tidy and locked up. He never broke anything when he stole. He was like a master thief. So an honorable thief. Eventually, Chris does get caught stealing from one of the places he used to take a lot of resources from. And he goes to jail and has to re-enter society. But anyway, this is the, it's an incredible story, and if you just totally space that part out, that intro, in a nutshell, again, the book is about Chris Knight, who spent 27 years living as a hermit completely alone, and what wisdom Chris has found from that time. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Mike. I love the book, by the way. Like, I really, really loved it. I think about it all the time. Um, Thanks, Noah. It kind of, it like, it like freaked me out in some ways, but I think it's in a good way. Um... So like this, you know, if you're freaked yeah. out, I don't care if it's good or bad. I like, that's a great reaction. You know what I mean? It's like uh, the, the worst reaction to me is, you know, I could give a shit, you know, it's like, I don't care at all. It's like, as long as it's a strong reaction. Yeah, cool. Like okay. So I definitely gave a shit. It was, de <laughs> it was definitely just freaked out like this. So dude, like this morning I was just thinking about, I'm trying to like, I'm, there's all this complicated stuff going on with my life and I'm trying to figure out like, where should I move to? What's the next career thing that I'm going to do. And I'm like, why is this so miserable? And I'm like, oh, I think it's so miserable because all these things are like attached to me. And that's when I think about Chris all the time. Um, and he, yeah, like, right. Do you think about that? So let's see how old, how old are you? Uh, I'm seeing like over your left shoulder, I'm seeing a couple of backpacks and a guitar, but no like diaper caddy or anything indicating a lot of like anchors tied to your, uh, the guitar and the backpacks are very encouraging signs. So <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there, there are no anchors, but there's a, there's a desire. My partner has a desire to have an anchor. So honestly, I just turned 30. So that's that there's been a lot of stress there to be honest. Um 
And well, you made it. You made it. You know, I really feel like that's the over under. If you're kind of, if you have any sort of boldness about you, you, you know, you might, you might crash and burn before the age. If you make it to thirty, then you have a good chance of of, of continuing on. So, yeah, I, I get your, Thank I get you. your sort of, uh, I did it. Your your angst. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just think about, but I just think about like, like Chris going into the woods. I just think about. I, I, I'm trying to get. Uh, like my brother and my girlfriend or my fiance are going to read it because I want them to understand that all these like attachments that we put on ourselves, it's just like this weight of stress. And it's like this dude was just like, he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to the woods. But what I want to know is like when you when you wrote about him, like how did that make you feel about your, did you feel that way about your own life? So, um, you know, I'm just kind of a spoiled brat that I can write about what I, you know, whatever topics sort of grabbed me and I don't really have to explain why. And there was something about this whole story that got me in all the getting places. You know, I, I am, you know, having lived in Montana for a long time, I am a true outdoors person. I love being alone. I love camping in the woods. And also at the same time, I had, you know, three very, especially when this story first broke, I had three very young children. So my house was filled with sort of chaos and noise. And I think there is a fight or flight mechanism in most people's heads and yeah I, I the thing that I like about the, the story is that the story itself Chris Knight's story we can get into it is fascinating in a uh, in a vacuum but also how everyone reacts to it has its own other thing I think that's really the difference between oh this might make a good magazine story but this is what makes a book is even just you speaking about you you read Chris's story and it's not just, oh, this is a guy who did something interesting. You're like, whoa, it really touches you. Like, should I make some changes in my life? Am I doing things right? Am I really doing what makes me happy? How many times do we really spin around the sun? Is, you know, we have one shot at this. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to sit on my deathbed with regret. So I really love the way that the whole story with Chris Knights makes you turn inward also while being entertained by just a wackadoodle story. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, a hundred, a hundred percent. Um, it just made me think a lot about like the weight, the connections. So like his thing was basically he severed all connections and connect and do connect. My thing is like, it's like an algorithm. Do connections cause stress? So like when you're connected to job, you're connected to even family and all that stuff. Does that just cause you to have stress? Cause he was just like most of the t things that he did out there, he just sat. Like he just, you said he just like sat and hung out. Um, I was just wondering your I was wondering like your your take on that just because it's hit me so heavily and writing about it I can only imagine like what that did for you. Yeah, I mean there's a lot to unpack there and I don't want to run off run off the mouth too much but I'll I'll just I'll just take your question and run with wherever uh, my mind yeah, goes. Yeah, run off the mouth. You know it is 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's 9 o'clock in the evening here so on on one hand it's like you know it's the end of my work day I'm working on something so I feel much more relaxed and on the other on the other side of the coin I'm I'm not my sharpest. So we're just going to see where this goes. So uh, since you're going to you're going to be introducing the Chris Knight story I don't have to get into a lot of the details but basically I think what the most important question you're asking here is, um, let me see what I want to say. The thing that really struck me most about my interactions with Chris Knight, and even, even just our brief introduction with you, you know, one of the first things we talked about each of, you know, you said, oh, I'm thinking about moving to Bozeman. I'm thinking about making these changes. And, you know, the subtext of that is you're not precisely where you want to be. 
And one of the most fascinating things that, that really sort of dawned on me when I was talking to Chris Knight was this, you know, despite the fact that he lived completely alone in the woods of Maine with god-awful winters and buggy summers and this sort of yeah. solitude that would drive all of us insane is this level of contentment, this happiness, this sort of he found his perfect place. Now, no one of us, he's such a human outlier, no one of us should, I'm not saying to anyone that you should go into the woods for any for 20 years and not speak anything. That would not be good for any of us. But yeah. he found a place and a lifestyle that truly made him content. Now, of course, you know, he had to steal and break the law, etc. Nothing's perfect, perfect. But I'll tell you the thing that sort of, I think the thing that sort of shakes everyone's foundation is that um, what should we, are we doing something wrong? To, uh, are we, are, yes. I guess some of this is a little bit of pre-pandemic, but just generally, just generally, there's this sense that we, that society is sort of driving us all crazy. You know, there's many times where, you know, I'm driving in my car with my three children in the back screaming and the news is just like terrible news after terrible news. And my phone is just freaking buzzing off the hook with people yeah. trying to, you know, get in touch with me. I'm late to something. I'm stuck in traffic. I feel completely overwhelmed. And this is, this is a successful, I'm, I feel like I'm a successful person. I'm a successful person. I'm overwhelmed and harried. Like something's wrong. The temperature of society, we're, it's, we're literally being driven insane by our quote unquote, you know, modern life of, uh, of all these time-saving things. None of us have any time. We're all too harried. And uh, this is a guy who sort of threw a monkey wrench into all that. And, you know, I love some of the, some of the extra reading I did, you know, the, the, the person with the most free time is the richest, not the person with the most money, you know, that's the most valuable thing. And so it just, something about Chris Knight's story, uh, it just goes right to your foundations and makes you question some of the most basic things in your life. Like, you know, am I in the right place, mindset, you know, in the right job, et cetera. And I, it's, I think it was that that drew me to it. Uh, and of course, I'm... As a journalist, curious about all these things, and I found myself, just like I said, a little bit unable to center myself, unable to be in the moment. I guess mindfulness is the is the word that some people use. And Chris Knight was this example. I feel like I gave, he gave me his story, which I can, will never be able to thank him enough for, but he really gave me a greater gift, which is to sort of take stock in life and slow down just a tiny bit. And we can get into some of the more metaphysical aspects of it, but... Uh, he, uh, my encounters with Chris Knight sort of profoundly nudged me a couple of degrees yeah. in my life uh, for the better. And I hope that some of the people I read about him are also sort of like at least shaken on some level. I think. And entertained. Absolutely. I think that, I think the story is shaking. I mean, it's a dude that spent 27 years with saying one word. And I think if, what, I think what really freaks you out or what really freaks me out is that so a lot you, tr people, you try and write him off as crazy in your mind. Because you're like, you don't want right. Right, to accept that actually he's not crazy at all. He's the complete opposite of crazy. He's extremely lucid. And when you, right. when you realize that, that's when it starts to freak you out. Because you're like, well, what, now you have to like, be like, what's wrong with me? I think that's a beautiful – I'm so glad – I'm so glad you think you're screwed up. No, I'm, I'm so yeah. glad. That, I mean, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, I, no, I don't know if you do a lot of writing, but it's like uh, you sort of, 
it's not, a, my wife is a, a mathematician and, and I'm sometimes jealous of her where there's just like sort of one way to go and you get a right answer. You know, there's a million ways you can go and, you know, you never get it perfectly right. Sometimes when I'm sitting there writing a book, I envision that I'm at like the world's biggest soundboard. You know, there's all, there's millions of dials and you just don't know which ones to turn. And I'm so pleased to hear you say that because I wanted to present Chris Knight's story palatably, but I also wanted really underneath the, the subtext, underneath the actual TikTok of his story to to sort of, you know, make you wonder uh, uh, about some of these uh, these bigger uh, these bigger issues, and you know, am I am I am I living in the right am I living in the right way? You know, it's like, or am I am I am I really am I doing what am I being molded by exterior forces, or am I doing what makes me happy on the inside? And it's very easy to say and hard to achieve because we all have these pressures on ourselves from simple things like I'm sure you have to pay the rent every month and you're not going to tell your landlord, uh, you know, hey, man, I got a lot of experience. Can I give you some experience and pay you the rent that way? You know, it's like you have to we're all stuck on some of these uh, some of these uh, profoundly difficult things like just earning enough money to get through life. And this guy just said to hell with it all. And um, it's, it is, it's, it's like, a, you want, I love what you said. It's, if you, if you just wave your hand and said, this guy's crazy, then you've taken a shortcut. You really haven't, you've just, you've taken the easy way out. Yeah. You, you've, uh, you've just dismissed it. You haven't, you haven't gone into the well. Exactly. <laughs> and you're just like, cause it's hard. It's harder just to realize that he's not at all. Um, and, yeah. and then another, another thing that I brought up for me that I, that I've thought a lot about is like the, there's a paradox in it. I think basically where it's like there's rejecting society on one hand where, all right, I'm not going to go to meetings. I'm not going to I'm not going to work in society. I'm going to just just go isolate. But then there's also that's against survival need. So it's like you have to be a part of society at some point to survive, to eat and sleep somewhere. Even Chris, someone that that went in the woods to get away. The paradox is that actually he even he had to go and steal and be a part of society in some in some way um that i think about that all the time too because it's a it's a trap and there doesn't seem to be a right answer like what did that bring up for you yeah and i would like to this is i'm glad you've asked this so i mean what you're basically saying is and chris knight never portrayed himself as anything other than he is right which i which is both maddening you know he never said i'm a saint or i'm someone that you should look up to he never said anything like that so chris knight and i'm sure you'll explain this you know lived in the woods of maine for 27 years but in order to eat and clothe himself and you know every single thing he he needed in life he stole from other people he broke into homes and took you know a, a People work hard, you know, everyone would love to, you know, be on a 27 year vacation. But, you know, basically, if you look at it on one way, and I, I tried in the book to be clear eyed about Chris, although personally, I feel warmly, I can't help it. But it's not like I shied away from the less savory aspects of his story. Um, he, other people who did not break the law and lived, you know, within the boundaries of, of, of the society basically provided for this man, you know, to be to do right. his own thing. And there were, there are many people who said to me, you know, I dismissed this person uh, if he had, and I'm going to actually tell you something that I wished that I had put in the book. Yes. So this is be, this would be good for your show. You know, even great. if you read the book, this is something that you, you know, every, every writer, I don't know if 
they're, they're going to be honest with you was, you know, maybe three weeks after publication, like, oh, you know, I left that on the cutting room floor. I wish I, I this, let me tell you the thing, the one thing I really wish I had yes. put in the book, because you never know what people's reactions are going to be. But one of the biggest reactions is sort of what you just said is, you know, if this guy had just hunted and fished for a living, then I would really consider him like the Zen master. Then he would really have my respect. But because he broke into people's houses, I don't respect him. And here's the thing that I didn't put in the book. I actually had an interesting conversation with Chris Knight personally about this very subject. Oh I God. said to Chris. Okay, great. While he was, Cause I had this question. I <laughs> while this he was question. in jail. Yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, Chris, why, why didn't you hunt and fish for a living? Yeah, yes. Okay. And this was his, this was his answer. And I found, like I said, I really wish I'd put this in the book. So special to your show, um, to Dude Nature, is the is this fascinating thing. And like, if there's ever another edition, I'm going to put it in. But if not, only your listeners are going to get this. Um, he said to me in, in his sort of, I won't even try and do a main accent, but in his cryptic way, he said, Mike, I liked to live. In fact, what he said to me was, Mike, you live in Montana, right? Uh, there's a lot of bears there. I'm like, yeah, he says, yeah. you know what happens, uh, you know, remember, you know what happens when you put your garbage cans out um, during, uh, you know, during the season when the bears are, are coming out of hibernation, aren't they often knocked down and, and rummage through? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that yes. happens all the time in my neighborhood. We have this whole phone system when we see the bears, we bring our garbage in and he's like, you know, why, why weren't the bears picking berries that day? Why were they knocking down your garbage can? And I said, I don't know. And I'll, he said to me, well, the number one thing about living in the woods, and I like to live truly naturally, and to live truly naturally like an animal is to say, use your brain and to conserve energy. Montana, like Maine, is a very cold part of the world. Follow me here. Yeah, okay. And he said to me, Let me which is more what an animal would really do uh, if they were hungry? Would an animal go and dig a hole in the ice and stick a pole in the ice and spend all day freezing cold to maybe catch two fish and burn more energy than they, than they used? Or would a mouse or would an animal crawl through a hole in a, in, a, in a cabin and eat your cereal and get warm? You want to use your brain and the least amount of energy possible. He says, I posit to you, Mike, that the more natural thing for me to do was to pick a lock and take this food and use a lot less energy than artificially tromp through the woods to find food. I feel like I was doing the more natural thing. And because I'm a human and I put these codes in place, like not smashing a window, not breaking into a full-time home, not disturbing anyone while they were there. He's like, I would have starved to death if I had to hunt and fish. I would, did not conserve my energy. It is the more natural thing to do to take food that is available for you and preserve your energy. The same reason why the bear decided to not pick berries that day, but knock down my yeah. garbage can to eat my leftovers. That is the natural thing to do. And that was his sort of answer. And I, if I, I, you know, that you got the first draft. I'd have phrased it a little nicer, but um, you know, he had a reason for that. It was, it was really the more animalistic behavior on, a, uh, on some level. Honestly, that that's huge for me because that was a question I had and that makes now that's a really that's a really good answer i feel like i know it is it's a really really good answer because he's like i'm just like the bears that do the exact right. same thing right 
If you hang a steak, if you yeah. put a steak out, uh, you know, if you leave your steak out, you know, whatever on on your deck, you know, on your grill while it's open and a bear walks by, it's gonna take that, it's gonna take that steak before it goes and gets berries. It's just the number one thing you have to do in a cold environment is 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 conserve energy. It's and, and you know, art of, it's hunting and fishing is uh, you know, is, is a waste of energy. It is not natural. It is unnatural when you can take food in a much more efficient manner. If people weren't leaving food in their pantries and need to figure it out something else, but to, to, to deny that would be to be less wild in a funny sort of way. Breaking into a cabin is more natural than hunting and fishing. Right. It would be less wild and it might be if like, if, if a wild human's best attribute is their brain, even right. more so, I deny that even more so than the bear, it makes sense to do it that right. way right imagine like a cheetah saying oh i'm not gonna chase down this gazelle because i'm i'm too fast of a runner i'm, I'm not gonna use my my number one advantage i'm gonna go you right. know, it's like come on exactly. man everyone uses the thing everyone uses their, their number one advantage god some of the things yeah that, some of the things that he says like when you when you quote him in the book and stuff like you're just hanging on every and and like you go into in the book it's like uh, the people that like hermits, we've looked at them for wisdom throughout throughout the uh, throughout ancient times. So like this, you are hating on everything that he says. You're like, what? How can I extrapolate? Because he barely says anything. How can I extrapolate this sentence to <laughs> to do meaning for my life? And the funny thing is that he doesn't like he doesn't care to come off that way. It's not like he's trying to come off that way. N no, it's it's yeah. I think you're totally right. Like you know, when as you were speaking, I was actually thinking of like just. It's funny when you have that crazy perspective of like 27 years of like, you know, the guru on the mountain. For example, when I was trying to explain to him how cool the internet was and, you know, how we download music. And he just said to me, so you're using your thousand dollar computer as, as a radio, you know, or you're, you're, you know, and I'm telling him about text message. So it's like Morse code, you know, like he just would like he just gets to the heart of everything and denigrates it in this like person. He likes, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, he's like sort of slays it all pretty quickly. Like everything that we think is, is fantastic. Yeah. And he said that with text messaging too. He's like, <laughs> yeah, so we're exactly. Just, we're just going back and you're just like, oh my God. Right. It's like this wisdom coming from this sage. And right. you're like, you're, this is so you're using your telephone as a telegraph now, you know, it's like, wow, great. Oh my God. <laughs> um, what was the most, you know. what was the most memorable thing he said to you? Um, like in, in your mind? Well, as you mentioned, so, uh, First of all, as I already expressed my great, great appreciation of Chris Knight, his lawyer told me that something like 500 journalists tried to get in touch with Chris Knight, and I'm the only one that he spoke to. So first of all, the number one thing that before we even get to any specific thing, I am just so grateful that he selected me to talk with. And, you know, I think in... Other interviews I've done, maybe during the day when I'm like on my game, as opposed to loose in the evening, I've probably been saying I, I, I you know, I feel completely honored, and I, it was like, uh, you know, a grand surprise. But honestly, no, I think I felt, you know, certainly I was, I was thrilled that he wrote back, but it wasn't as much a surprise as I may have indicated in the past. It was just, I just felt like he would respond to me. I mean, I wouldn't have written a letter to him in the first place if I didn't think there was a chance. And so 
uh, I felt that there was some sort of connection. If you'll recall in the book, I mentioned just randomly, you know, I'm a nature nerd that, you know, the, the summer solstice and the super moon, you know, happened on the same weekend. And this was the specific topic that this poor man decided he was going to talk with these, you know, inmates about. Like, he, he's like, oh, I'm going to practice talking. I, I've got a perfect topic. You know, the, the super moon and the solstice are happening on the same weekend. And I'm just like imagining this 47-year-old guy yeah, going to this like yeah, tatted up 18-year-old yeah. kid. And he's like, all right, I'm going to talk. And that, and like that's his topic and just just imagine this hardened kid is like what the fuck are you talking about yeah, man? You know, what like, you know, <laughs> yeah right right and then, like just getting nowhere like it's the absolute wrong topic to pick like that's what i'm going to talk about in jail that that topic you know it's like and, and the poor guy gets like rejected and then by pure serendipity but not just serendipity it really was like something that i thought of i wrote that to him in a letter and i think the moment he saw that he was like this is the guy I want to talk to. I, it's like, it was this crazy coincidence. I mean, that is a weird topic of all the topics in the world to talk about. I decided to write to him about the super moon and the solstice. It, but is crazy. it was natural. Yes, that is crazy that he then, like it was the thing that he asked, he tried to make conversation yes. about to the inmates. That is right. really wild, and, honestly. And I didn't know that. And I wrote a letter at the same time and it came in the land and I can just imagine him opening it in his cell and be like, you know, of all the 500 letters that he got from journalists, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy picked the exact topic to talk about that I tried to talk about and failed. And, and so it's like I don't really use the word kismet or fate very often, but it seemed like a faded thing. And so before I, you know, before I even get to anything specific, it was just that sort of beautiful. Let's go with fate. I don't like the word luck. This beautiful, like, you know, sometimes a journalist and a, and a, and a subject just it, it was this we 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 were supposed to speak to each other. And, uh, you know, I know that there's random haphazardness all over the place, but it just, you know, it was a super challenge to me because as you can tell, I run my mouth off, I'm spazzy and energetic. And when I get nervous, or even talking on a podcast, you know, you want to you wanna put your best foot face forward. I tend to get loud. And so all these things that are, that are not very Chris Knight Ian. I'm, I'm a, ask any of my children, pull my children and ask them if daddy's patient, uh, you'll get a zero for three. You know, I'm not a patient dude. I don't think patient is a, patience is a virtue. I think patience is bullshit. Get it done now. You know, it's like. <laughs> so you're the opposite <laughs> of Chris Knight, babe. It's the polar opposite. Right. That's what you're saying. Right. But we still, we still thought about the same thing. And so there was this like this grand test for me to like, you know, to like, uh, to, to challenge myself. And you know, see, I'm, I'm really interested in Chris Knight's story, but again, we're coming back to how he affected me and how, you know, even reading the book affected you. And he, so beside the fact that all of his, like, he's a man of few words, but they were so sort of poetic and weird. I, all right, so you asked me what was like my favorite thing, you know, I, <laughs> I love it when people make fun of me. You know, I just, I just like, when someone like makes a joke at my expense, that sort of means, that we like each other. Yeah, Do you know what well, I mean? It it's like, it means, uh, it means you're in basically. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like you feel comfortable. Like, um, you know, if you come to my house and you say, you know, pass the salt, I'm like, get it yourself. You know, if, if someone says that, you know, that means we really love you. You know, if it's all formal and everyone's quiet and nervous, then, you know, we're uncomfortable with your presence. And so, you know, it's just, it's just like, you don't get brutal honesty from yeah. people. There's, like there's something about 27 years by yourself that all this sort of like, I call it the dinner party compliment. Like, oh, 
Mrs. Smith, that was the greatest meal. You know, even if it sucked and you're in the car, like that all got like washed away from Chris Knight. And so there were these funny moments when I, you know, I named my son Beckett, like the writer Samuel Beckett. And the, as soon as I told him that, he's like, oh, that's a terrible name. He's going to hate you. And I was just like, right. I was just like, I was just like, a regular person would be insulted, but I just busted out laughing. I was like, you just, you just told me exactly what probably half of my friends probably thought, thought when I told yeah. them I named my, my friend, my son Beckett, and none of them told me that. Not a one of them said, Mike, that's a terrible name. They were all too goddamn polite, and you just blurted it right out. I love you for that. You know, yeah, you insulted the shit out of me, but I kind of, like, I love that. Nobody does that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> he is so fucking awesome because none of, like, the society niceties, he is, like, he was yeah. clean. He was a clean. You know what I mean? He's like the cleanest yeah. man alive. And he doesn't care. It's amazing. Right. Oh right. my God. Right. Um, so, yeah, so it's like these little things where like you would just insult me. Yeah. That picture looks terrible of you, Mike. You know, it's like, you're right, it does. You know, it's like, that's an ugly shirt. I just like uh, it was like, you know, there's that terrible Ricky Gervais movie, like the invention of lying, you know, something like that, where it's just like he just he just said it like it was. And uh you know, even like he even startled the police officers. Like, well, how did you get into this building? Like, I used this key. You know? yeah, how many yeah, times have so you done honest. it? Well, so honest. This... Right, right. That was the thing, you know, whenever one of the confounding, one of the truly like mind screwing parts of this is when I went around to people that lived on the lake and they just insisted that this man was making up this story. Right. And if you unpack that, so this guy truly didn't really want, this guy truly did not want publicity. This guy is the last thing this guy wants is publicity. Yeah. You know, we can talk about this later. If he had his druthers, he probably would not have had a book written about him. He acquiesced. And I'll, I'll, I'll take a quick side, like, why did he let me write a book? You know, the guy, the guy is super smart. He realized he got 500 letters in jail. He realized that he was going to get hounded all his life, just like he, he realized that Breaking, it, breaking into houses was more the animalistic thing. Having a book written about him actually would give him more privacy. He realized that if he kept his mouth shut, people were gonna knock on his door, hound him till his dying day. But if he told his story once and said, this is everything I have to say, now leave me the F alone. It's sort of like, the book is sort of like a wall. Like, this is what I have to say, read the book and stay away from me. And he lives in Maine and I'm happy to say that, you know, it's kind of game theory. He said, I'd rather not tell it to anyone, but I'll tell it to one person and that way I'm not gonna be bugged. I'm happy to say he hasn't been bugged by reporters. This is all he's going to say. Somebody who could shut up for 27 years isn't going to be cajoled into giving another interview. There's no chance that I'll ever get another interview yeah. or anybody else will. And so he, he made the decision, I'm going to have one annoying journalist uh, write about me and so I can like, have the rest of my life free. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, we were talking about this sort of brutal honesty when people were thinking he was lying. And I just like... It sort of reminds me sometimes of the current political climate where when someone is stuck on something like, you know, he like if you just unpack that. So he made up this story to get a lot of publicity. But this is, a guy, you know, it's like the only thing less believable than a guy spending 27 years in the woods is that a guy would make up that story. You know, you, you right. know what I mean? To get to get publicity. Right. So I, I would just listen to these people insist that he was lying. And just like I really didn't have much rebuttal. I was like, you know, thank you for your opinion. Uh, you know, and if they did ask me, what do you think? I'd be like, I, you know, I disagree with you, but I know this I, insistence. I just think it's coming from, it's coming from, 
it's like it's scary to think that it's real, that it's a real thing someone did to go spend 27 years in science right. because you're not spending 27 right. years in science. It's freaky. If you if you accept it comes it, from a part of fear. It comes yeah, from you're fear right. Fear when someone says that. Yeah. Because it's a freaky yeah. thing yeah. to accept. And then you have right. to like really right. think about it. It freaks you out. It freaks you out. And, and, you know, in, and so much about working on this story subverted my usual reporting process because, you know, I've been, I've been unfortunate in my career, you know, to be in many countries and war zones. And usually as you get closer to the story, people explain it more like, you know, how come there's terrorism and you get closer to the source and everyone starts explaining it. And this was the exact opposite. The closer I got to where Chris Knight lived, the less people believed it. Because, really? you know, someone, yeah, it did someone in Florida would say, oh, fine, but someone in Maine would be like, no, it's way too cold here. You, there's just no way. I mean, the more you know about the story in a weird way, the more it boggles the mind. I'm telling you, Noah, if you and I went out to where his site was in winter and didn't light a fire for one night, for one night, I think, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I would cry. Yeah, I would, I would cry just too, weep. for sure. Yeah, we would both be we, crying. We would be crying Let's together. Just, just, just get ready. <laughs> yeah, we would cry together, and, we, and then we would run out of the goddamn woods, get a hotel, go to get McDonald's, you know, anything. It would just kill us. It would kill us. And this guy, you know, to do it for a week is unimaginable. A month, a whole winter, it's, it's so, 27 winters and not even lose a fingernail to frostbite, it, it, it doesn't like boggle. I think I used the phrase like it was as if he could flap, said he could flap his arms and fly. And I stand by that. Like, you know, if you said to me, I could flap my arms and fly, I'd be like, you're crazy. But it was as if he had said that. And, you know, the more you know about Maine and how challenging it is, and not just in the winter, like the flies are, it's, it's not even like you get a break in the, in the summer, you get hounded by mosquitoes. It's just so uninviting that the more you know it, the least believe, less believable it is, but it is true it's true right he did this oh my god and and yet it's unbelievable at the same time so good story lot to unpack great story <laughs> hey thank you so much for coming on we got three three last questions um okay book recommendation. My, my pleasure book recommendation any can be a fiction non-fiction whatever you had one book to recommend what would you give him can't be your own of course of course life, not read life, no, of a read life of a stranger and this book Okay, let's, she's Louise. Um, I'm like looking at my, I read voraciously. God, I feel like I'm gonna take a shortcut on this. I read voraciously. I love both fiction and nonfiction. Um, I literally read, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, a story about an art thief right now. So I've been reading art thieving books. And this question sort of, I can't believe like the easiest question sort of stumps you, but like all writers are like, oh, what's your favorite book? I'm like, oh my God. All right, so let's just, you got a Chris Knight. You got you know, to be cut to the rational. You got a Chris Knight. The the the, the question. I'm just going to think of a book that you. Oh, you know what? I'm screw it. I'm just going to stick. I'm going to stick with. I'm going to go with a weird one. But uh, and I don't want to sound like pretentious. But I'm telling you, I did of all the hundred books that I read. That's probably an understatement. Closer to two hundred to prepare for this. When I was younger, I read. I tried to read Thoreau's Walden. And I thought it was difficult and I got stuck. The second time, you know, I'm, I'm 52 years old right now. So I was in my late 40s and I opened it up. And I think that that book, Walden by Henry David Thoreau, which half the people that are listening are like, that's an old dude. It's like Shakespeare, the Valvoy. 
it is like a modern, I found it to be extraordinarily profound. And I recommend your readers to get on the internet and buy it in hardcover okay. used. Don't get it. Don't get a soft cover and don't get it on your Kindle. Go find a $20 hardcover used version and read it that way. It uh, I underline lines that make me think. And that book, I, I, I'm looking at it right now on my shelf. That book sort of is filled with under read Walden. You've thought about it. You may have tried it and you closed it. Go for it. It's a weird recommendation. I'm going with Henry David Thoreau's Walden. Fuck yeah. Beautiful. Fuck yeah. Okay. I love it. <laughs> um, spirit animal. What's your spirit animal? I am a turtle man. I love turtles. <laughs> They're, uh, I just was reading this story just yesterday about this last of this species in India. So turtles, man, they're weird looking creatures. They live to be like a hundred years old. They, uh, they have this sort of crazy, they all look like Mitch McConnell, of course, but uh, you know, they, they have this wiseness and I love turtles of all shapes and sizes. That's my spirit animal. And I, uh, one of my stories that I did for National Geographic and, you know, I like to get down and dirty in my stories. I lived with a hunter-gatherer tribe in the most remote part of Australia, not the Hadza tribe that you discussed. But this was the, this was the Yongle uh, people, similar to that. And the way they fed themselves is they went out on these boats and they threw spears at sea turtles, these giant things, and they killed them. And, and I'm like, I can't, this is my spirit animal. I'm just going to admit to you here <laughs> that I went out on this... I went out on these like crazy boats and they threw spears and they like this, they, this turtle, like the size of a, a card table, they put in this canoe and it's sitting there on its back struggling. And I'm like, oh my God. And then they, they come up to the beach, they drag it by its flippers. Meanwhile, the rest of the tribe had been building this huge fire. I'm just going to tell it like it is, Noah. You can cut anything you want. They hacked its head off. And I'll tell you, do you know what a sea turtle and Jiffy Pop popcorn have in common? This is not a joke. This is true. They cook in their own container. Man, you just take the turtle. It's in its own container. It's in a shell. You plop the whole damn thing in a fire. Uh, you put some coals on the top. It only takes 15 minutes, by the way, after you have a hot fire. You, you, you lop the head off. And because the head is a big hole, you have to stuff the head with leaves and stuff so not, nothing blows out. You, you stuff that hole. You put it all, just like a Jiffy Pop, you put it all on the fire. You pull it out into 15 minutes later. You cut the top. You leave it on its back because it's like a big soup bowl. You cut the top part off and you eat the turtle. And I'll tell you what I did. I ate those goddamn turtles. <laughs> and uh, so now I have a very intricate relationship. With, your spirit with my spirit animal, yeah. So it's it got complicated. It got complicated. <laughs> Such a good story. That's fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> favorite outdoor activity? Back favorite backpacking trip? Favorite thing to do outdoors? Anything? One thing? Oh, no question about it. Powder skiing. I love to ski. I love uh, backcountry powder skiing. I'll do it until I'll do it until I'm beyond exhaustion. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Awesome. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. The book is Life of a Stranger. Where else can people find you? The Stranger in the Woods, you can find me at michaelfinkel.com. But I'm, you know, I'm, I, I keep my online right, presence relative. Yeah, it's no worries. I keep my online presence 
I mean, listen, I could fall down the rabbit hole and spend my entire day, you know, fighting with people on the internet. So um, I would be most honored if your listeners would consider reading the first paragraph of The Stranger in the Woods. And if they like it, go on to the second one. And as soon as you don't like it, just close that damn book up. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you can find me wherever. You can Google Michael Finkel, find my ups and find my downs. But uh, really, I try and throw myself into my projects and you know, I'm proud of The Stranger in the Woods, and I'm working on a fascinating story about an art thief right now, a guy who stole art. And so I, I look forward to my next appearance on Dude Nature to talk about hell, stealing art. Hell yeah. Mike, thanks so much for coming on, man. That was awesome. My pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Michael Finkel. And again, the book is The Stranger in the Woods, The Extraordinary Story of the Last True Hermit. And the book is just honestly incredibly dope. And you'll love it. So go get it. If you want to find more Dude Nature, you can get us wherever you get podcasts. Um, we'd love a rate and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you could. Or find us on Instagram at dude underscore nature. Love you guys. Take care. Bye.